Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, the podcast for event professionals who want to stay out of the game by hearing from the leading innovators in the event industry. My name is Miguel Evsch and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of EventMB. In this episode, titled Taking the Stress Out of Conference Planning, I have the pleasure of speaking with Joe Atkinson, co-founder of Lineup Ninja. In this episode, we cover some great topics around stress, technology, conference planning, and much more. We talk about how bad event experiences can lead to important insights. We talk about how Joe's unique IT and events background led him to create an event tech tool. We talk about the compounding challenges around stretched workforces as to do more. And we talk about why event tech vendors dream of creating SaaS products and why that doesn't work for the event industry. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the Event Manager Podcast with tips and insights from today's most influential event professionals. You can find all the episodes on our website, or you can subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast. I am joined by none other than Joe Atkinson, the co-founder of Lineup Ninja. Thank you so much for joining us today, Joe. How are you? Very well, thanks, Miguel. Happy New Year. Yes, indeed. Um, happy New Year. It's, it's a lovely sunny day here, so I'm feeling, feeling all kind of bright and joyful and full of the joys of, well, not quite spring, but, you know. Hopefully. The days are getting longer, so it's all positive. Yeah, right? yeah. Good. So, so Joe, uh, we met a few years ago. Uh, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago, uh, and I've kind of followed your your journey in this uh, in this startup world. But for people that don't know you, um, tell us a little bit about who you are and and how did you get to be you? How did we get to to where you are today? Um, right. So, well, I guess yeah, I'm the founder of this uh, this software startup called Lineup Ninja. Um, and I got into that really because um, I'd previously done some work in events, you know, organizing uh, some fairly complex events um, and actually found it pretty difficult. You know, um, it's, it's, no, it's no lie that managing events is really stressful and um, it's, a, it's a very complex uh, role. Uh, and I found that yeah, I found that was absolutely the case that when I was trying to organize events, I found it was very complex, lots of moving parts, quite a lot of uh, data and information to keep track of. And I found that the tools that I was using, which were kind of things that lots of people use, you know, email spreadsheets, um, maybe some databases and uh, CRM systems, um, weren't quite doing it for me. Um, and so that's that's why I ended up starting the company. But um before that, I had a background in tech, so I, I kind of studied computer science and went off and worked for an ISP as a, an engineer looking after um, clients' infrastructure. Um, got a little bit disillusioned with working for big corporate tech. This is around about 2007, something like that. Um, and at the same time, there was a lot of there are a lot of stories in the media around um, you know we've become much more concerned about climate change. Um, there was a lot of discussion about um, fossil fuel resources potentially becoming more scarce in the future. So I, I became really interested in sustainability. So I kind of had been working in tech, got interested in all this sustainability stuff and went off, um, had a bit of a change of career and went off and worked for this tiny little environmental charity that's based in Leeds where I live um, and ended up doing education and events stuff for them. So, so I've got this tech background then get into events um, and so I'm running events for them and I'm looking at the tech that I'm using and I'm, I'm using spreadsheets and emails and stuff and I think I know there's a better way of doing this because I've got my tech background um, but by this point my tech skills are a bit, little bit rusty 
So um, I kind of hooked up with an old colleague of mine uh, and pitched him this uh, idea for a little side project, which was, um, I just wanted to build like a little, it was going to be a really simple little website where you could put your, um, your conference agenda into it. You can drag and drop your sessions around and it would tell you, um, oh, don't put that session there. That speaker said he's not going to be there on that day or something. Or um, this session can go in here because the speaker has asked for a projector and there's one in that room. So I had a really simple, nicely, tightly scoped idea for this little project we were going to do together. Uh, fast forward five or six years <laughs> in, this, in this kind of business. So, yeah, that's, that's how I got where I am. So IT in the background, then you have mm -hmm. kind of meeting, planning, conference organizing as sort of part of a role that wasn't really, you didn't really join the event industry. You just sort of had to organize events as, as part of your role, right? And then kind of yeah. kind of found your way or struggled your way through using spreadsheets and things like that. I'm sure you're not alone. I'm sure others listening will, uh, will have had uh, similar experiences. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. Now, um, I also know that recently I, uh, you asked me for a quote for a book that you were writing, which is the, yeah. uh, it's called the Event Content Management Book. Um, tell us a little bit about how that came to be and, uh, and what your objective with it is. Okay. So um, I didn't really start out with the intention to write a book <laughs> necessarily. Um, when we were starting Lineup Ninja and I came into the, uh, really started getting into the events industry in, more seriously, I was very conscious that while I'd organized events in the past, I'd felt very much like an, outs an industry outsider. So I was kind of trying to understand the industry. Um, and the product that we developed was really to, to meet my own personal pain point that I'd experienced. But as we brought it to market, we realized, you know, we needed to speak to people who were organizing academic conferences, which I didn't really feel I knew that much about. Um, and we really started to gain some traction with um, exhibition organizers, you know, people who are doing trade shows where they've got a big speaker program. Uh, they were really seeing value in the product. And I felt a bit like, well, actually, I need to know more about this. I need to know more about the challenges that are being faced by exhibition organizers particularly around this, you know, how do you organize the conference at an exhibition? Because it's quite a different thing to organizing a scientific conference. You know, the processes are quite different. Um, unfortunately, where I live in Leeds, um, and indeed my old university, Leeds Beckett University, um, is the home of the UK Centre for Event Management. So I was two miles from where I'm sitting is um, that university's library. So I wandered over to my old school my university library um, and have looked through all the event management books that they've got there to try and do a bit of my own desk research to find out more about you know what, what's going on with these exhibition organizers and how are they trying to organize um, their their speaker programs and I looked at book after book after book on event management and nobody was writing about this at all so there's some great event management books out there but no one's talking about the nuts and bolts of how you put together a speaker program so I thought, well, that's interesting. There's a big gap in the literature there. Um, so I just, through the course of conversations with our own clients and attending lots of trade shows, taking lineup ninja to the events industry, um, I just made quite a lot of notes about what I was seeing in terms of what our clients are trying to do, how we were engaging or being asked to engage with trade shows. and just had some fairly um, comprehensive notes. And then I was... The pandemic hit and everything got a bit quieter. I had a bit of time on my hands. So basically just wrote up my notes into a book and that's it. That's kind of how it came about, really. Um, and I, I figured the main... Sorry, go on. Well, what, do you, what do you think? What was, what was the main bit that was missing that really made you think, like, this is, this is really needed in, in the space? Um, it, well, it, one of the things that I've seen is that the speaker program at trade shows can sometimes be seen as a bit of a kind of add-on. So at exhibitions, you know, the core business really is selling, if we're speaking in the kind of the physical world, um, the main business is selling square meters, right? You know, it's about getting exhibitors in um, to sell their products to their clients, or it's about, um, it's about organizing meetings if you've got like a hosted buyer program and all that kind of thing. It's really about that um, putting your exhibitors in front of their clients and the 
speaker program is kind of the way some organizers approach it is kind of an add-on or it's seen as well it's a good way to get some uh, some bodies into the building it's a way to attract the, the audience so that that in turn will attract our exhibitors so it can sometimes be a little bit deprioritized and it can be given to more junior members of the team or it can be you know delegated um to to yeah new, newer staff um so we'll, what I was thinking with the book is actually it'd be really good if there's a guide that's a little bit more than just a kind of because there are a few marketing guides out there from some of our competitors but they're really good you know it's like here's how to do a good call for speakers form or you know here's how to um, uh, here's how to write a good um, speaker agreement so there's some some really good practical hints and tips but there isn't like an overall explanation of what the point of a speaker program is or like a primer. So that was who I thought the primary audience is, you know, people who are fairly new to the industry and they get dropped into their lap, you know, you're going to organize a speaker program for this conference and there's going to be a hundred speakers and you need to do it all. I thought it'd be good if there was like a reference resource for them to just be able to say, right, what, what am I trying to do here? You know, um, It is interesting how, how you can find all this information online, but sometimes nobody's connected the dots or at least you can't find a nice way to connect the dots automatically. Right. So I think that's kind of what I'm hearing is, you you wanted to tell the picture and put it in context, right? It's 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 nice to find a, a resource that says this is how to send a speaker email or something like that. But if you don't understand why that's important and then when you should do that, then having the details don't really doesn't really help you really. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I guess one of the other things is some of the organizers that we work with are really savvy in terms of they'll use their speaker program or the process of gathering speakers as a way to upsell some other like bits of advertising or more um, stand space or possibly they'll, they'll have some sessions which are paid for like round table events or something like that so when people are asking to speak at their event they'll then ask them well are you already exhibiting or would you are you interested in finding out more about exhibiting and so there is actually a commercial angle to all this activity which if you're new to the industry and you're just told just get some speakers, you might not be thinking about it in that slightly, slightly more commercial or strategic way. So I weave some of that stuff into the book as well. Really interesting. Well, I think, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll add in the show notes where people can download the book or where people can buy yeah. the book. Is it free? Is it is it paid for? How, how are you doing the book? Uh, it's free at the moment. I think when I do a second edition, it's probably going to be expanded quite a bit. And at that point, well, we'll have a look I and mean, then we'll like charge for it then. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you'll have some big publishers coming after you asking uh, for the rights and then uh, you can uh, make it into university text, right? <laughs> yeah. Ch chance would be a fine thing. Yeah. Yeah, good. Um, cool. So let's get back into the event industry. Um, yep. You know, you've been working in it directly or indirectly for a while now. What, what keeps mm. you engaged? Like what makes you really enjoy the event industry? Um, I'm at the risk of sounding really cliched, and I'm sure everyone answers this question the same way, the people are amazing. Um, you know, just the dedication uh, to the events industry and the sector is amazing. But it just, you know, made some really good friends in the events industry. Um, one of the things I think about events themselves that is so compelling is just how there's, there's a real intensity to doing events work, isn't there? You know, um, you've got an immovable deadline you know mm -hmm. if you've got a big event you can't change you can't push the, the deadline back and they're really really public you know so you know i was working for an association and our annual conference that was the big thing where all the members came and any mistakes that happen that are really public you know everyone sees them um and so there's a real intensity to the work and there's, it's so focused and i kind of love that thing that when it comes around when the event rolls around you know the couple of weeks beforehand and at the event itself it's just it's that kind of all hands on deck everyone just puts everything into it and i think that's um that can forge some really strong uh, friendships and relationships um and i just think it's yeah it's really um compelling uh, place to work the events industry yeah i know okay. we Everybody I ask always has that, uh, but I like to get a little bit deeper because I think it's easy to say the people, but I think it's nice that you kind of expanded on that a little bit and, and how it's different, I think is, is, is really interesting. Um, 
Good. And, and always a fun question, like, how do you explain to your family and friends what you do? Because I always find people struggle a little bit to explain what the event industry is and, and kind of your role in the middle of that. Um, well, I guess I've got my elevator pitch for business. So I just kind of say something like that, you know, like, oh, um, uh, I have a little software startup and we make software for the events industry. It helps people who run conferences and trade shows to organize all their speakers and get them onto the right stage at the right time. And I usually say something about, about that. And, but I usually find that once you mention that you're doing software, people either are like, oh, brilliant, I'm in tech, or their eyes start to glaze over. And you can see you start, <laughs> I'm, I'm losing the room here. I'm going to stop. So I usually try to keep it fairly, fairly short and then, you know, put the subject of conversation back onto them and ask them about themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a good technique for any kind of conversation. So mm -hmm. not just that, right? Good stuff. Um, and what about so events? Uh, you know, you're trying to make events better. You're trying to make conference programs better. Um, tell us about a, an event that you were maybe part of or produced or maybe attended and, and why was it so great or or maybe it wasn't so great. And you could tell us why you think it wasn't so great. Um, yeah, so I guess the event that sticks in my mind the most, whenever, whenever people ask me about this, like, tell me about an event you've managed. It's this one, which I ran it. It was at Gilwell Park in London, which is, it's the home of the Scout Association. So it's this big kind of like a big outdoor space. I don't know. It's, um, let's say it's 50 acres or something like that. So that was that 25 hectares, quite a big site, um, right on the edge of London. Lots of outdoor space. They have um, various kind of dorms and that kind of accommodation. So I'm running this event, which was over the course of a weekend. So it's from Friday afternoon through till a Sunday. Um, probably about 500 attendees. There are lots of temporary structures that we're putting up on sites. So there are like marquees and yurts and teepees and all sorts of things. So it's got the feel of a, of a festival, but... In all those tents, there are actually workshops rather than bands performing and stuff. So it's a cross between a conference and a festival. It's like a conference in a festival setting. Um, okay. And it's residential. So some people are camping, some people are in these dorms. So we're doing all, we've got caterers as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm working for a tiny charity. So we're doing it on with zero resources and a few volunteers. Um, and and so this is the event, which is the kind of founding story of Lineup Ninja, really. So the way the event works, the program starts on the Friday afternoon. You've got a few speakers doing a few things on Friday afternoon. Then there's like a big party, like Kaylee on a Friday night where everyone comes together and they'll have a dance and stuff. Uh, and then Saturday and Sunday is kind of full day of workshops. So the show had got off to a good start and it's Saturday morning. It's like early September. The weather's amazing, beautiful sunny day. The vibe's really chilled. Everyone's relaxed. And I'm thinking, right, ah, okay, all the main stuff to worry about is out of the way. I can relax a little bit now. Things are up and running. Everyone, all the crew know where they need to be. You know, the the numbers were right for the caterers. They're all happy. Um, speakers all seem to be kind of, they know where they're going. Um, I can relax. And just at that point, you know, I hear this kind of, my, my walkie-talkie crackles into life. And I hear this kind of like, uh, Joe, you better come down to reception. Uh, there's a guy like really kicking off down here. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, what's going on there? Um, okay. And because it's such a big site, I'm quite a long way away. So I kind of head over to reception. It takes me about four minutes to get there or something. By the time I get there, I'm, I'm getting to reception and there's this kind of like a bit of a sort of hushed, stunned silence where the, the, the crew on reception are, they just kind of go, yeah, that bloke was a bit mad, wasn't he? <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> um, and so I get the backstory. And what happened was um, basically one of the speakers turned up on the Saturday morning, went to um, to register and said, oh, yeah, I'm, um, I'm one of the speakers, blah, blah, blah. And uh, looked at the timetable and discovered that his talk had actually been scheduled on the Friday afternoon and he'd only arrived on the Saturday morning. And he, he'd, he'd got up at 6.30 in the morning, got a train from Manchester down to London, so, and then walked the last mile to get there. So he was really hot and sweaty and quite agitated, and then discovers that he's missed his session. <laughs> and, and, and 
completely understandably, really frustrated, really angry, um, and just kind of let off steam at the uh, reception desk and gave them a hard time. Unfortunately, the reception desk was in the same space as the refreshments in the cafe. So there were a few people there having coffees, like just general delegates who witnessed all this. Um, also, my chief exec at the time was trying to form a strategic relationship with this speaker, and that got completely torpedoed. And the whole thing was my fault, basically. It was because I had been scheduling all the sessions in the, in the run-up to the event, like the week beforehand. Um, one of the other speakers, who was originally supposed to be speaking on the Friday, got in touch and said... I can't do the Friday anymore for whatever reason. Can you give, can you swap my session to a different time? And I'm in that week before the show. I've got a million and one things to do. I'm sending final numbers to the caterers. I'm making sure that all the bed allocations are right and that that you know people are in the right gendered dorm for them and all that kind of thing. And okay. I just I just swapped these two sessions over and failed to check that the session that I moved from the Saturday to the Friday that that was going to be okay. I and mean, actually, the speaker whose session I moved had already told me that they couldn't get there till Saturday morning. So, so it's all my fault. It caused all these problems, and that was when I thought there's got to be a, a better way of doing this than just with spreadsheets. And so that's how Lineup Ninja came about. Wow, that's quite a story. I like it. It uh, <laughs> really explains the the issues that I think event organizers have, and I think it also explains that that idea that one small change to your event program can have massive repercussions that aren't necessarily um obvious uh yeah. and yeah I, I i've seen i have a lot of conversations with people being very upset about any changes and, and sometimes you don't really understand what those changes how they can impact the event yeah yeah, yeah and, uh, and, and it was you know i hold my hands up completely my fault but it was a very easy mistake to make you know it was, it was too easy to make that mistake really, so yeah so um, thus you try to create some tools that make you um able to uh stop those mistakes or at least uh, manage things in a better way yeah and just have confidence that you all that stuff is kind of being taken care of by the software rather than worrying about yep. something there might be some little issue lurking in the agenda that's not going to come out until on the day itself so yeah and so just briefly so how does lineup ninja solve this right i mean um okay. we've mentioned it's kind of programming conference software but what does it do that's really clever that really stops you from from having making these mistakes? Okay, so um, without wishing, you know, I'm not going to try and plug the product too much, but um, so essentially, what it does is you've got your call for speakers forms, which I guess you'll see in any kind of abstract management type software, or you know, you might be doing it with Google Forms or um, JotForm or one of these form based platforms. So Lineup Ninja gives you all that, but it understands what those answers mean. So if you ask a question on our form that says, um, what's, which days of the conference are you going to be there? It will stash that in the database. So when you then schedule that speaker's talk, it's, it's keeping a track of their speaker's availability. So it'll say, oh, don't put Bob on Friday because he's not going to be there on Friday. He's not going to be there Saturday. But it can also do things like, and this is more useful for the, like the exhibition organizers. Let's say you've got speakers who have offered, maybe they've offered to do a presentation and also you want to put them on a panel and maybe they're going to be, I don't know, maybe they're, they're judging like a startup competition as well. So you might have people who are doing several things throughout the show. It also makes sure you don't put them in two places at once. Um, so it's just tracking all that background data. Um, you can capture things like what resources do you need to deliver your session? So another issue I've had in the past is um, where we're doing workshops in marquees and that kind of thing. I've had a speaker turn up and say, oh, well, I'm, I want to show some slides. And you put me in a white marquee that's really bright. No one's going to see my, see my slides. So that's another yeah. thing you can track to Lineup Ninja. You can just capture all those practical needs and make sure that everything's scheduled in the right place. Really. And so am I right in saying it's kind of like builds the conference puzzle for you in a sense? Yeah, that's a lovely way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, um, I guess rather than thinking for the what's different for the event manager is rather than thinking, I'm going to put this session at that time and then this one at that time, you you give it the rules to say this speaker can go in any time as long as it's not Friday and as long as it's in 
on one of the stages that's got the track for this session, for example. So mm-hmm. just give it all the rules and then line up and you can track all that for you and make sure you don't make any mistakes. Or you can just click a button and it'll build the whole thing for you. And then you can go in and see, you know, maybe the, I don't like that one there. I'd like to move that over there. And then if it, mm-hmm. if it allows you to move it. And what, yeah, so, I mean, speaker availability is obviously one of the, um, one of the important rules. What yeah. other rules are kind of really important that are built into it that you can kind of select, um, you know, prioritize? Um, it's pretty configurable, actually. So now we've got, um, as the product's getting more, you know, we're developing it and it's, um, has got more complexity in it now. A lot of that stuff is user configurable. So you can you can define your own labels for things and, and then associate scheduling rules with those labels. So for but example- Without getting into the technical side, what, what do you right, think okay. are like the most useful <clears throat> ones out of those? Or what are the ones okay. that you would recommend your clients to focus on? So I guess track is often a big one. So if you want to have all of your- technology sessions on the technology stage and all of your marketing ones on the marketing stage, you can do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you are allowing your speakers to have different um, AV, or, or maybe, you, um, maybe you've only got live audience polling on one session, on, on yeah. one stage. So one, one room has a big stage or has more AV or has some more advanced yeah. stuff, the other one doesn't or the others yeah. don't. You can kind of say, hey, I want these speakers to, to be in the big room or to have access to these things. Yeah, and there's a there's another benefit that flows from capturing that information about what speakers need to deliver the session, which is if you know that a speaker needs a projector, live polling, and Wi-Fi to deliver their session, when it comes to the day of the event, let's say there's a problem where the Wi-Fi goes down in one of the rooms, you can go into Lineup Ninja and say, okay, what's the effect of that? If we turn Wi-Fi off in this room, it will then show you all of the sessions that need it. So then you know either, oh, actually, nobody needs Wi-Fi. It's fine. We don't, we don't have to worry about it. Or you can say, oh, crap. Um, Jenny's session at 2, 2 p.m. is going to need Wi-Fi, so we need to get it fixed by then. Or we need to move Jenny's session into another venue. So, it, it can, so you can kind of view it without editing, without making edits to the program, but you can kind of just check what happens if kind of thing. Yeah. That's really um, interesting. Yeah. So, and would you say that it is, um, you know, obviously this is a bit of a trick question, but is it something that planners can use by themselves or do they need you kind of by their side to explain them how all this works? Uh, I'm going to give you a diplomatic answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that really, it depends on the confidence of the organizer, like the technical confidence. So some of our clients, they kind of they'll pick it up because we've got quite extensive documentation as well. So there are FAQs on a lot of these uh, features. So some clients will pick it up and they'll just be like, great, I understand it, I get it, and they're off and running. Um, some clients uh, need or want a lot more hand-holding to help them build confidence. We usually find that with even with those clients that you know they're on they're on Slack to us or the emailing us or phoning us all the time saying, oh, how do I do this? How do I do that? Um, by about the ninth time we've sent them a link to the docs with the, the answer to that question, they're either consulting docs or they've just got enough confidence with the platform. You know, so after, yeah. after a couple of shows, they've gone through that steep bit of the learning curve and they really understand what we're trying to do with the product. Um, and then that's really useful because then at that point they start giving us all the kind of feature requests and saying like, why why doesn't it do this? Or have you not thought about making it do that? Which is great because it's all, um, they're all suggestions that we can then build into the product and give more value. Yeah, it it does sound like that is a sort of common issue with any sort of event tech, right? I think uh, there's a desire from the client to have a lot of handholding most of the time, but then they may not be able to afford, you know, the the kind of service or or support uh, kind of, all the time, but also ideally you kind of want to get to that stage where they have some confidence and, and can jump in and, and, and edit things and kind of manage things as they go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is a, it is a challenge for event tech companies that, you know, mm-hmm. um, in an ideal world, we'd all love to be selling software as a service type, you know, it's all self-service, it's all subscription. We never even talk to the client and they would just get their money, you know, 
That's, yeah. that, speaking really frankly, that's what a lot of software vendors would love to be able to do. But the events industry isn't like that, you know. And I guess I alluded to it before. Running events is so stressful, and event managers have such a broad portfolio of responsibilities that they need to be able to get some good quality support from their vendors because they haven't got the headspace necessarily to learn all this stuff, especially for like the first event. So, yeah, yeah I think the service component is super important in, in software for the events industry. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So, Joe, I mean, obviously, this has been a, an interesting uh, almost two years now of pandemic. Um, mm. How has it been for, for for Lineup Ninja? I mean, is it a tool that you can kind of use quite well on the virtual side as well? And is, is that what has been happening? Or has it been kind of quite challenging for you? Um, I think I think we've been super lucky. I mean, not quite as lucky as some of some of the event tech vendors but um you can use lineup ninja whether it's a virtual hybrid or physical event obviously we designed it originally for physical events but anything where you've got complexity of scheduling speakers um really it, it doesn't matter how it's being delivered um for physical events you need to make sure that you've got people on the right stage at the right time but for virtual events you might need to for every session you might have like a pre-record and then like a live delivery of that session, possibly with live Q&A. So for a given session or for a given speaker, you're scheduling two sessions for that one session. So there's more scheduling there, more, a bit more complexity. Uh, and also where you've, if you've got um, like global, if, if, you're, if you're drawing your speakers from a global pool, um, you've potentially got speakers in various time zones as well. So then you've, that's an additional layer of scheduling if there's any live delivery by those speakers. Because mm -hmm. you might want to make sure that you're not getting up. Um, Rachel in Australia, you don't want to get her out of bed at 4 a.m. if you can avoid it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so there's, there are different scheduling challenges, but they all have scheduling challenges. So Lineup Ninja can help in both situations. What we found with the pandemic was initially... <clears throat> we had quite a few clients lined up. We'd sold you know, a few deals and had a few contracts due to start. And initially, those were just a big wave of cancellations. So business just kind of dried up overnight. And then everyone was so busy just figuring out, well, what does a virtual event even look like? How do I deliver one of those? What's the business model? What are the platforms that allow me just to even deliver a virtual event? Nobody was at that point was really thinking about, well, you know, how do we um, streamline our speaker management admin? Like, <laughs> that wasn't front of mind for anyone. Yeah. Um, so we, the inquiries dried up as well. So the, the first six to 12 months of the pandemic was quiet for us. And we were really lucky because we're such a small team. We're still a, a young, small startup. So our cost base is tiny. Um, and we were able just to basically wait it out. We didn't have to lay anyone off. We didn't have to put anyone on furlough. We didn't have any investors to keep happy. We could just kind of take a step back and just watch what was going on and see how we could help um, with the challenges that people were telling us about. And that's what we did, really. Um, and then towards, well, the last nine months, things have really started to pick up. As people are starting to look beyond what's my virtual platform and they're looking at the whole tech stack and looking at how they can um, drive um efficiency okay. and also um as as people are gaining confidence that physical events are going to come back so you know we're already working on shows for 2023 for example so let me understand this i think things last six months have picked up because people are booking uh in-person mm. events but also some virtual events are i guess becoming more professional behind the scenes and need 
more tools than just sort of the streaming tools and are kind of taking uh, taking advantage of that? Yes. I mean, I think there, there are maybe a couple of trends going on behind the scenes, um, you know, several trends going on behind the scenes. Um, one is that, you know, there's this initial, when the pandemic first hit, quite a lot of organizers um, made staff redundant. So there are quite a few organizers now working with smaller headcount and fewer skills than they used to have. Um, but as there's this shifting focus towards hybrid delivery, there's more complexity. So the challenge is getting bigger, but the skills and resources with which to manage that is reducing. At the same time, there's been this massive adoption of tech in the events industry. Um, and so <laughs> organizers are more familiar with tech and more familiar with the idea of using tech to solve problems. And yep. so as, as they're looking more broadly across their whole tech stack, then they're seeing, okay, this, this tool looks like it could save us a lot of time. Um, it's worth looking at. So, yeah. Yep. That's kind of interesting because, uh, yeah, it does feel that, yeah, the hybrid complexity in a way benefits at least you and, and, and Lineup Ninja in terms of you know, people needing that extra help. So, I mean, I, I think this is very interesting to talk about the, the the challenges that are happening right now. I mean, we've talked about the, the complexity of hybrid. Are there any big challenges, other big challenges that you're seeing currently in event production, be they in-person, virtual or hybrid? Um, well, I think fundamentally, there's still actually a lot of uncertainty um, arising from COVID. So we're not through, we're not out of the woods yet by any means. And yeah. so and I think that's really the fundamental thing. No one's really quite sure how what the world's going to look like when the dust settles. And lots of people like me will tell you that they are certain about it. You know, we, oh yeah, it's the future is definitely going to be three, six, five communities, or it's everything's going to be virtual. And a lot of what we say is going to be colored by what we're trying to sell you, right? Um, but actually, fundamentally, we don't really know. There's still a lot of uncertainty, I think. Um, I think that there is a loss of skills in the industry and a loss of capacity of skilled people. And that's, that's a challenge. Um, yeah. And there's going to be that need to deliver more with with smaller teams and with fewer resources. And then, as always, you know, there are these constant challenges in um, in the event sector, which are you know stress, mental health, well being. It's a super stressful job um, organizing events. That hasn't gone away. In fact, it's probably got worse um, during the pandemic. Um, Climate change isn't going away, so sustainability is still a massive challenge for events, and I think there's a lot of work to do there to really crack that. Um, and I guess another thing that's been happening over the last couple of years, well, it's been, it's been happening forever, but the last couple of years have brought it more, into more sharp focus, is the challenge around diversity. And, you know, for us, it's diversity of speaker panels, right? Um, we're still seeing a lot of white blokes up on stage talking about stuff um and that's got to change you know we need to see more representation from other groups different people he says one white bloke to another <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the irony right um yeah so how do we how do we change that i mean it's interesting that you bring that up and i and i completely agree um is it just a a conference organizer you know making rules saying that there has to be people of different backgrounds and et cetera, um, speaking, or are there any other ways to, to tackle that? Um, well, I, I don't profess to be the expert on this. Um, I think there are some great initiatives like people like, um, uh, Ashanti, uh, Bentildu at, um, uh, diversity ally. So that's a really good, um, uh, initiative that, that she's put together there where they're helping to deliver training to the events industry on you know how to how to tackle the diversity challenge um because you know a lot of events organizers are starting the starting point is well actually it's difficult when our speaker panel is usually like a lot of ceos or c-suite executives and when we look at that population of people that they are very male they are very white um so what, what do we do about that and you know, I think Diversity Ally have got quite a lot of smart answers to these kind of questions, and they've got a lot more experience in, in this than I have. Um, I'm starting to see the emergence of things like, uh, I know there's a new speaker agency in London called Spectrum Speakers, where um, they're specialising in diverse speakers. And, and 
they're very specifically trying to get away from um, diverse speakers coming to speak about diversity. So, you know, this is about people who are coming to speak, experts in your field, but they just happen to not be stale, pale and male, you know. Yeah. Um, and without wishing to give you too much of a product plug, we're working on some stuff behind the scenes at Lineup Ninja to allow organizers, when they build their whole agenda, to be able to filter for things like um, protected characteristics. So you can say, well, how, how white is my panel? Okay, right, everyone's white. Okay, maybe we need to do something about that. Because um, I guess there's a whole kind of political, small p political question there about do you have quotas or not? And mm -hmm. yeah, which and I yeah, think without really getting fun. into anything like that, but I think it's interesting, and that's what I was I was hoping you'd say. I, not that I knew that you were working on that, but I think it, it makes a lot of sense that you can check on the diversity of your speaker lineup, um, mm. and uh, I guess you need to have that data go in in some sense, right? And that's relatively sensitive data, so I don't know what the yeah rules are around that but uh, but I imagine you have a lot of other sensitive data going into the speaker management anyway so having a ethnicity or a gender or, or some other form of, of, of tracking um, that diversity I think would be could be really useful yeah so yeah absolutely and even if it's just to be able to report on it so that as the event manager you can say well yeah we're tracking this stuff we're asking our speakers to optionally provide that information because obviously you can't coerce people to yeah and, and i think because you also do the tracks i think that could be quite interesting because um someone who's attending an event may only see uh, sessions from a specific track mm. and if that one track ends up being all white male even if the event has a lot of other uh you know uh, a lot of diverse speakers their impression of the event will probably be all white male anyway, right? So yeah. I think it would be interesting to also analyze it per track and say, you know, is the technology track all white males? Okay, like let's let's find somebody who's not an all white male to have a different perspective. Yeah, that's a great point. I need to capture that for the, <laughs> to make sure that goes into the that feature goes in. Good stuff. Um, cool. What about the vision of? future of events right i mean this is something we we constantly talk about our next big event will be the future of the event industry what is your vision of the future of the event industry you already talked about there's a lot of uncertainty you know nobody has a crystal ball that's that's 100 correct but any insights into how you're seeing it develop and and i'm particularly interested in, in how you think it's going to change right i think uh mm. There's a sort of part of the industry that's very keen to go back to normal in some sense. I think a lot of us also feel that normal is a bit subjective and normal is not necessarily, you know, possible or, or going back to where we were isn't necessarily positive. You know, I think in terms of sustainability and other things, there are big improvements that I think we could do. What's your what's your vision on this or what where do you see us going? Um, well, I think. I'm going to start with a caveat, which is, you know, um, because there is so much uncertainty and because, you know, I'm, I'm only really speaking to you know, our clients and our prospects. So I've, I'm, I'm engaging with a relatively small sample space of the events industry. So I think anything I say should be seen, should be seen in that context, you know. Um, what, I am, what I'm hearing from some of our clients particularly like the trade associations who are involved in much more traditional industries. So let's say you know, people in the um, uh, construction sector, for example. Um, what I'm hearing from them is our, our users are not remotely interested in attending virtual events. They just want to have their annual get-together. It's an opportunity for them to get out of the office, to go somewhere, see a new, a new city, it's, you know, it's a bit of a kind of, it's like a reward, you know, it's, it's like a kind of incentives thing. And really, yeah, the, the reward of travel and hospitality just isn't there when it comes to virtual events, right? Exactly, yeah. You don't get that same buzz from sitting in your kitchen on the Zoom call. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I'm hearing from those kind of sectors is that, yeah, we, we're just waiting for things to go back to normal. And yes, there will be some improvements or changes that some things will stick from this pandemic time, but really a lot of people are just, you know, I'm sick of doing Zoom calls. I'm Zoomed out. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to go back to how things were. 
I don't think things will go completely back to how they were. I'd be surprised if you know some changes don't don't stick. Um, but then other sectors are completely different. You know, particularly anything that's very well. There's a lot of innovation or a lot of tech adoption. I think um, we're seeing uh, an example might be so Event Tech Live, for example. I think they've been pretty smart in terms of how they've responded to the pandemic because they. They've had this really good show in London for a number of years. Uh, the pandemic came along and they did a virtual show in London. And then they did this US and Canada show, which was a virtual only show. And they're kind of, they've now announced back at the last London show, they announced that they're now going to Las Vegas next year. So they've kind of used their virtual event as a way to um, start to open up a new um geography for their physical event so they've kind of used it quite strategically um but they're not going to be purely virtual in their in that new geography so that it's going to be a bit hybrid mm-hmm. um but it's yeah i'd be surprised i guess basically what i'm trying to say is there will be diversity there's not going to be sure. one change that everyone's going to adopt and it's we're making it we've just got more options for event planners to draw from and they will do what is appropriate for their audiences. In, in terms of specifically, you know, things related to Night Lineup Ninja and the things that you work on all the time, are you seeing any significant changes on how uh, conference programs are being put together? Um, I'd say the biggest change is, yeah, where people are doing hybrid events, um, and so. They've got a physical program, and then they've got some speakers dialing in from around the world as well. Um, and that brings a bit of extra complexity, but um, yeah, that's probably the biggest change. And I think that that makes a lot of sense for certain audiences. Um, and that's probably it, really, from our from our point of view. Apart from that, a lot of it stays the same. You know, you ask speakers what they want to speak about, and then you um, decide yes or no. Then you decide where they're going to when and where they're going to do that and then you tell your attendees about it it's in that yeah. respect it's a relatively predictable workflow what about the preparedness of speakers um because i have this feeling that when you're doing a virtual event it's it's a lot easier to be less engaged with it. you're not traveling for for two days you know to mm-hmm. get somewhere and and kind of, you know, if I'm speaking at a, at a physical event, an in-person event, then I tend to stick around. I go to sessions. I, I participate in the event. If I'm speaking at a virtual event, I'll dial in, you know, 15 minutes before my session, do my session, and we'll probably just go back to my work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I find that when people ask me for my presentation or when people ask me for a lot of details on the session, I don't, I'm not necessarily as prepared or I, I kind of do it very last minute which I imagine then would cause you on your end a lot of trouble in terms of having the data to be able to work on the puzzle, right, of, of, of all the sessions. And so I'd like to, are you seeing this as well? Are people kind of leaving it more last minute and, and doing creating the puzzle more last minute or, or not? I'll be totally honest. We haven't, that's not something I've heard from our clients that they're really struggling with everyone being really last minute. Um, I think the kind of last minute slide deck submission thing has always been a challenge, you know, and as a speaker myself, I've been guilty of it plenty of times where, you know, I'm the guy who does, who makes the software for a speaker management and I'm submitting my slides like half an hour before I'm on stage, you know, so if I can't get it right, we're all, we're all guilty of it. So I think that's just a perennial challenge for organizers corralling your, your speakers and getting, we can give them the tools to help with that, but ultimately it's a bit of a kind of, some organizers really lay down the law and they're very assertive and say, well, you know, if you don't meet this deadline, then you're not speaking. Um, yeah. But that'll only fly with certain speakers. If, you know, if you've got VIP speakers, if you've got, you know, chief exec of some big company that's a, a, a leader in your sector, then you've got less bargaining power to be able to say, you know, but you're not allowed to speak anymore. So, yeah. And I think it's, um, you know who benefits the most, or or who is mm. who is getting the more out of is is it the the event because a, a star speaker is coming in and 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 that makes them look good, or is is it good for the speaker to be at that event and 
-hmm. hopefully there's a nice match between those two and it works well but i find a lot of times there isn't you know and i think events do kind of hope that the speakers are going to be very influential in driving traffic and driving people in and for a lot of the speakers especially you know if you're not getting paid i think a lot of the speakers just well this is a little bit of a a thing that i do but but uh mm. if i'm not treated well then i i may not stick around or i may not um you know do that so i think it's a, it's an interesting dilemma and and i think it also comes back down to when speakers are being paid or not um the types of sessions you know if it's a keynote i think it's a little bit different from a from a sort of breakout mm. session um so so all those different categories um so yeah i'm very just curious about how you're seeing that and it doesn't sound like it's changing too much but the the issues around the kind of power dynamics have always really been there i think yeah yeah absolutely okay yeah. good joe thank you so much for talking with us uh, and being on the podcast i hope you enjoyed the experience and i would certainly like to you know get your insights on on the areas that you're really diving into deep um and i don't know too many people diving into conference management in the same way that you have so uh, so we appreciate that mm, um, thanks we want to ask you um, the question that we ask everybody on the podcast, which is to mm -hmm. recommend a, a guest to be on the podcast. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to I'm so slightly guiltily that I don't know who's been on it in the past. <laughs> That's so, okay. I don't so, think your suggestions. <clears throat> well, the chances we have had one person say someone who's already okay. been on, but but the only one time. Okay, so I would recommend either Sophie Holt from Explory, because I think the work that they're doing. Um, because they are talking to lots of people, like event organizers, audiences, um, sponsors, exhibitors, and so on, they've got a really uh, broad understanding of where the trends are going. So I think she's always got really, really good insights that are worth listening to. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Laura Lee White, who is, uh, she's the founder of Spectrum Speakers, who are the ones who are doing the um, more, like the diverse speaker agency. So I think she's got a really interesting story as well. All right, two guests, two future guests of the Event Manager podcast. Thank you for that. Yeah. Very good answers. Cool. Well, Great. Um, thanks. For where can people find you? So, where can people uh, find you if they want to learn more about you and what you do? Um, just um, go to lineup.ninja, or if you can find me on LinkedIn as well, Joe Atkinson. Um, Perfect. Thank you for being our guest today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Miguel. It's been great. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.